Good morning. My name is Agnes. And my name is Yvonne. And today is the second Sunday of Advent. During Advent, we celebrate the coming of our great Savior Jesus Christ by recognizing different parts of his story. Today, we celebrate the angels who, symb who symbolize peace. Today, we're especially mindful to the angel that spoke to Joseph. A reading from the Old Testament, Malachi 3, 1 to 4. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. Can you hold this for me? Now a reading from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father for announcing to Joseph the coming of Christ. Um, we pray that we experience peace that only Jesus can give us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. amen. Good morning, Gateway. For those who do not know me, my name is Dean Salami. My family and I have been attending Gateway for some time now. This is week two of our Advent sermon series, More Than We Expected. I'm really excited about today's message. So excited, in fact, I cannot wait to hear what I have to say. But you know, Advent has nothing to do with what I have to say. It's about what has already been said about our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to hear from Matthew. He was a Jewish tax collector, but after a divinely ordained encounter, became one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, before I get too far into it, let me commit our time to God. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to look into your word. We ask that you illumine our minds and help us to see the glory of your great son. And as we do, Lord God, that we would honor him and cherish him in our life. Father, empower me to preach this word properly for your people, bring glory to your name, and do good for them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Pastor Ed started off our series by providing us some background information. And it was scintillating information, I might add. For 400 years, from the time of Malachi to the events of Matthew, God was radio silent. No dreams, no visions, no prophetic utterances, nothing. Now, despite that, Ed reminded us that three, he reminded us of three very important points. God is not absent. There's a larger story than we realize. God is always doing more than we know. After 400 years, God decides to end the silence. How he does this, no one was expecting. He shows up and is a baby, no less. What in the world? You know, I'm not sure I know anyone who doesn't love a great drama. It doesn't matter where your preferences might lie. It could range from soap operas to sci-fi. The drama draws us in and we get connected to the characters in powerful ways. Here's the thing. All of that is entertainment. Matthew has no intention of entertaining his audience or us. He's a Jewish man writing to a Jewish audience about their Jewish king, Jesus, the Messiah. So let's be clear right from the outset. Matthew's not interested in our opinion. He's going to connect us to the central character of the greatest drama ever. He's going to present his case for why Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, Israel's king. The scriptures point to him, and the scriptures are true. What he said about himself is true. And as king, he requires our allegiance, not our opinion. We are all aware of all the opinions people have on a variety of subjects today. Jesus is not interested. He's not interested in fandom either. Hashtag Jesus is awesome or like Jesus is king. No, he wants you to believe in him and orient your life entirely to him, regardless of your circumstances. That's allegiance. Now, you need to know the name Jesus was a very common name in Matthew's day. But the Jesus he is introducing us to is supremely unique. Matthew emphatically identifies Jesus as the Messiah four times in this first chapter. In verse 1, verse 16, verse 17, and again here in verse 18, where Agnes and her son Evan read for us. His audience is Jewish. So they understand that this is not redundancy, it's emphasis. Notice in verse 1, Matthew connects Jesus with two of the most important figures in Jews, Jewish history, Father Abraham and King David. Their importance doesn't lie in them as individuals. Their importance rests in the promise God made to them. And as Matthew will show, God keeps his promises. Now, I'm going to discuss the promise to Abraham in a little more detail later. But for now, let me connect Abraham and David. So part of the promise God made to Abraham was regarding land. What we know as modern Israel without the border disputes. When David ascended the throne, he conquered every area of the promised land. He met and mastered every threat to his kingdom. And for the first time in her early history, Israel knew peace and security. 
She was a military powerhouse that had no equal for all of David's reign. When David had finally established his kingdom and subdued all threats, God came to him and promised that one of his descendants would reign forever and that his kingdom would have no end. That promise is recorded for us in 1 Chronicles 17, 11 through 14. Take a minute to read that. Now, David descend, David's descendant would be the Messiah. Matthew is telling his audience unequivocally, Jesus is that Messiah. Now, there's a reason why Matthew has taken the time to explain Jesus's ancestry. Every Jewish person is descended from Abraham, but not every and everyone is descended from David. Only David's descendants have a claim to the throne. And this is the reason for the genealogy. Now, Matthew is going to explain the details surrounding his birth. Now, this one's a doozy because we're talking about the miraculous conception. Jesus was born like every human that has ever been born, but he was not conceived like any other human. And Matthew plants a completely miraculous account right in the middle of an ordinary and very familiar story of an engaged Jewish couple. This is not a, stranger, a, strange, a strange visitor from another planet. This is God entering our world. Now, from Matthew's point of view, the miracle part is not strange. He spent three years with Jesus. He witnessed Jesus do some incredible miracles, saw him die and then rise from the tomb, then watched him ascend to heaven. Miracles were no longer strange to Matthew. Miracles were really not strange to his audience either, because Matthew is writing after the events he records. The news of Jesus's miracles were at least somewhat familiar to the Jewish audience. Matthew is simply providing context for his audience to put it all together and to have the proper perspective. Now, when his audience first heard this part of the story, they may not have believed it, but that's okay because Joseph didn't either at first, and Matthew does not omit that fact. Now, I'm not sure whether you believe this specific details of Matthew's account, but regardless, let us not make the mistake of scoffing about this or worse, dismissing it. Joseph didn't believe it either, but he did not have the luxury to scoff at this or dismiss it because it had a direct impact on his life. His hopes and dreams hung in the balance. And this also affected Mary's life. Here's the thing. The implications of this affects our lives as well. More than you might expect, but more on that later. Now, Joseph was forced to wrestle with this. He and Mary were engaged to be married. In the eyes of the culture, they were already considered married. All that was left was the marriage ceremony and the consummation of the marriage with their physical union. But before those things could take place, Mary admits to being pregnant, not by a man, but by the Holy Spirit. By who? The Holy Spirit was known as the Spirit of the Lord in the Old Testament. His presence in the Old Testament was not unfamiliar. The Spirit of the Lord empowered some of the judges during Israel's earliest days as a nation. The Spirit of the Lord rested on King David when he was anointed as a teenager. The Spirit's presence was usually associated with empowerment or affirmation of leadership, and his presence was sometimes accompanied by the supernatural. The Spirit being involved in conception? Yeah, well, that's new and way more than anyone expected. Because it was unexpected, Joseph did not believe Mary's story. And who could blame him? There had never been anything like this done in the entire history of Israel. 
or the known world for that matter. But listen to how Matthew describes Joseph's response. He was faithful to the law, but didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. So he had it in his mind to divorce her privately. In other words, Joseph was a good man. He clearly did not believe her, but he also did not want to see her suffer needlessly. He had compassion, even in light of his disbelief and the disappointment he must have felt. You cannot help but see the contrast that Matthew brings in Joseph. For us, Joseph is contrasted with the people of Malachi's day. Do you remember? They were disappointed, but they were not faithful to the law and went about doing their own thing, even at the cost of hurting others. But not Joseph. He tried to keep that tension in balance. His world just got rocked by the news. But yet he was sensitive to Mary's condition. She was pregnant, regardless of how she became pregnant. Now, we cannot miss the contrast with the Pharisees either. They tended to be imbalanced to the extreme. They were so legalistic that had they heard Mary's story, she would have definitely suffered extreme humiliation. And that the very least. Now, it's unlikely that this could have occurred because of the Roman occupation, but the law made provision for her to be stoned. But now we know and understand why God chose this man to be the one who would raise his son, a man who knew how to balance faithfulness to the law with compassion for people. So how did Joseph make the transition? It was through a dream. Now, not many of us would act based solely on a dream, but that is because we are not in the same context as Joseph. Dreams were established to be one of the ways God spoke to his people. And as a man who was faithful to the law, this would not have been lost on Joseph. In his dream, an angel of the Lord appears to him and addresses him as son of David. The angel does for Joseph what Matthew is doing for his audience, connecting him not only to his ancestor, but also to the plan of God that was promised to that ancestor. After the connection comes confirmation. The angel confirms everything that Mary told him. It was all true. And because it was, he should continue with his plans to marry her. The command comes next. The angel tells Joseph what he is what's about to transpire and gives him instructions about what to name the child. Matthew provides us another differentiator about Jesus. The detail surrounding his birth was the first one, but the purpose of his life would be the defining capstone. He will save his people from their sin. Jesus's name literally means God saves. Remember, this was a common name. This Jesus, however, is actually going to save his people. Don't miss that subtle connection. Jesus is God because only God can save. Notice the angel says nothing about the Romans. He says nothing about restoring the kingdom to Israel. This was the question the disciples asked Jesus right before he ascended. Neither of those things are at the crux of Jesus' mission. His focus is dealing with his people's sin. Why? Isaiah articulates it well for us in Isaiah 59 too. Let me read that for you. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Jesus's mission was focused on the one thing that was at the core of the problem, our sin. More clearly stated, how our sin affects our relationship with God. As Isaiah says, 
our sin separates us from God. Now, sin is anything we reach for that God has not freely given us. Profit, power, prestige, pleasure, and all the plans we concoct to attain all of that. Let me repeat that. Sin is anything we reach for that God has not freely given us. Profit, power, prestige, pleasure, and all the plans we concoct to attain all of that. These pursuits drive us away from God and are primarily responsible for the circumstances we find ourselves. Circumstances we cannot fix. Thank God for Jesus. He came to save us from our sin and restore our relationship with God. He does not achieve this salvation and restoration by some divine fiat. He, did not, he does not sit on his throne and wave uh, his majestic hand or sway his scepter. No, he's not distant. He draws near. He enters the very world he created just like we enter it as a baby. He lives the perfect life and shows us what a relationship with God looks like. Then, wondrously, he bleeds and dies as payment for our sin. That would be the end of the story for any ordinary man, but not Jesus. Because he is God, he rises from the dead with the, uh, with the offer of eternal life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not at least praising God right now, you need to check your pulse because you might not be breathing. Now, why would God do this? Is it it's not because he saw anything good in us. It's because God is love. And this is what love does. Let me make one more observation if I could. Because Matthew is dealing with a Jewish audience, you might think that this plan of salvation is Jewish focused, but it's not. It's Jewish oriented. Let me explain. This is where Abraham comes back into the picture. The promise that God made to him in Genesis 12, 3 was that he, God, would bless the world through him, Abraham. So God mediates his plan through a Jewish lens, but it was always meant for the entire world. The prophet Isaiah understood this. Look at Isaiah 59, 6. God is speaking through Isaiah and he says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God's plan of salvation was too big to focus only on Israel. But what he does for Israel helps us understand what he will do for us, because God doesn't change. The Old Testament records the sins Israel's committed. Some of them were egregious, but yet God's plan to save did not change because of it. And here's the beauty. God has a running record of our sin as well. Each and every one of us has a record and God still chooses to save. But because of Jesus, the penalty of our sin has been paid. The power of sin to control our lives has been broken. And one day soon, the presence of sin will be done away with altogether. Now, if you have not received this gift, please let us know because we would love to talk to you. Let me wrap up. Matthew has made the case for the uniqueness of this Jesus. He wants to drive his point home by making one more connection. He cites Isaiah, Isaiah 7:14 to be exact. He did not make up these events that he's writing about. 
These events were in fulfillment of prophecy. All of this was foretold in advance of the events taking place. From a Jewish perspective, Matthew makes a very powerful case for this Jesus being the Messiah. The evidence is so strong and it refuses to be easily dismissed. And this is just Matthew's introduction. His aim is clear. He's going to silence the skeptic and the scoffer so that they would believe in Jesus. His message is sweet to the sinner and the saint because the sinner finds salvation and the saint hope. Now, if you don't believe it, it's not because you don't. If you don't believe, it's because you don't want to, not because you can't. Now, let's get back to Joseph. After he wakes from the dream, he did what the Lord commanded him to do. Why? Because Joseph realized that the story is larger than he realized. He thought his hopes and dreams were all there was until God showed him something far, far greater. The story is larger than any of us realizes. But we do not get to fully grasp that without Jesus. He reorients us so that we can see better, but not fully. This is why we trust and obey. Isaiah 64, 4 reminds us that we cannot even begin to imagine what God has in store for those who love him. Part of loving God is obedience. Something Joseph shows us here. God gave Joseph an assignment he would never have dreamed of. Yet it was an assignment he seemed particularly suited for. He would help to raise the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This is Advent. The coming of Jesus entails more than we expected. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for this opportunity to be able to look into your word. We thank you for the coming of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the work that he did on Calvary to secure our salvation. I pray, Father God, that you would help us to live in it, in its fullness, because that is the desire of your heart. Help us to continue to draw close to you as we remember your son and uh, revere this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.